0: Jesus Christ. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, What a uh, great blessing. Thank you so much. I'm just glad there was more than one verse. I could have preached after that first verse. I was still trying to pull back together. But uh, I tell you, what a uh, powerful truth. And uh, it's always interesting to me, and uh, you can just see God at work when God takes a message and a song and puts them together without the preacher or the singer knowing what the other one's doing. And uh, it's always an amazing thing, and you can just kind of see God working there. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 5 this morning. John chapter 5. We heard in song about this being the point, the place of grace, and I want to preach this morning a, a uh, what I've entitled "The Place of Grace." Uh, and okay, am I on now? Okay, yeah. gotta be smarter than technology. John chapter five, beginning in verse number one. It says, "After this, there was a feast of the Jews." And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Wheresoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Father, I pray that you would help us as we examine your word today. Lord, I pray that you would do something that I cannot, and that is to take a single message, a single thought, really, from the word of God, and apply it to each and every heart. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting today that you would bring encouragement and comfort. Lord, for those that need to be challenged and convicted, would you challenge and convict our hearts. Then, Lord, those that just need to uh, be helped and encouraged along the way to continue, would you help us to continue serving you? Lord, I pray, whatever the need of the hour is for each and every individual, each and every heart, would you take your word and apply it today? We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, every person has the ability to identify with this lame man. Here's a man lying and he is in need of help. He needs to be uh, delivered from a disease which he can do nothing about. There's no way to find healing. The doctors obviously have not been able to do it. He's been here for some 38 years. He's been seeking, he's been trying, he's been desiring to figure it out and yet there's been no help, there's been no healing, there's been no way of being able to have the need dealt with. He needs someone to help him with a disease, with a problem, that he can't fix. And you know, every one of us has either been there or is still there. Our disease, our problem, is the problem of sin. We all are born in sin. We are a sinner by nature, a sin nature passed from Adam to everyone. And then not only are we a sinner by nature, we're a sinner by choice. We choose sin. And so a sinner by nature and also a sinner by choice. And we cannot be healed of that sin. We cannot be delivered of the debt of that sin, the price of sin. We cannot uh, be set free from that bondage by any of our own strength or our own power. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, there was a day where you were lying in need of the help of another. And maybe as a child, uh, a parent told you or you heard in Sunday school, or maybe as an adult, somebody knocked on your door or handed you a track as you were out and about, or whatever it was that brought you to the place that you realized there is a place where the grace of God is available. There is a place where there is someone, and his name is Jesus, who can give that deliverance and give that healing. We find here a man who pictures so well for us this place of grace. The porches here we see are filled with impotent folk. It's a good physical picture of two different spiritual truths here in this passage. First of all, these porches provide a good picture of the law. There are five of the porches and of course they would picture in that case the five books of the Mosaic Law. They're filled with impotent folk, just as the law is filled with spiritually impotent folk. The law is the taskmaster, the school. I'll probably have to move just a touch. I can't think if I don't move. Uh, The uh, uh, reality, though, is that the law is filled with impotent folk. The law is filled with those who are trying, those who are working, those who are laboring. And we don't have to look any farther back than the New Testament in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ to see uh, a people in the Pharisees who were good at keeping law and yet still impotent, still bound in their sins, still unable to find the grace and the healing work of God in their lives. It pictures the law, but it also here, these porches are a picture of grace. Five in the Bible is always the number of grace. The porches depict the fact that that grace has been extended to cover all who are impotent because of the law. And praise the Lord for that. We also see that just because grace has been extended to all, many who may receive grace are still lame because they have no one to help them from the law to grace. No one to explain to them that the law was not given that we might be able to keep law and by our own good works work our way to heaven. Rather, the law was given that we might understand that we are a sinner and that we cannot work our way to heaven, but only through the grace of God can we find eternal salvation, can we find a relationship with God. Even though we are living in a time where grace is open to all who are made lame by sin, the only way to get that to that grace is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, as you're preaching, as you're speaking, you talk about this thing of salvation. You're talking about grace. You're talking about heaven and eternal life. And to be honest, if I were just to say what I know of the Bible, I don't know if I could say absolutely for sure that I know heaven would be my eternal home. That I know that when I die, that's where I would go. If you're here this morning and that's your case, let me say just a couple things very quickly. Number one, that's okay. And we're glad that you're here this morning, and we want you to be here. But before you leave this morning, I hope that you'll hear and understand how to know that heaven can be your eternal home. And this very morning, make a decision to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you say, Pastor, I am saved, I know for a fact that I know Christ is my Savior. If I were to die right now, I could tell you the Bible reasons, the moment I made the decision, how I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. If that's your situation, I hope this morning that you'll leave saying, I want to make sure I'm helping others into grace. I want them to understand the love and the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you living under grace Or are you living under the law? I want you to notice with me this morning three realities that are found in the place of grace. First of all, in verse number six, the Bible tells us uh, when Jesus saw him lie, this man who's now been here for 38 years, when he saw him lying there, and, and of course, Jesus, he's God, amen? So he knows everything about the man. He knows that he's been there exactly 38 years. He tells us he knew he'd been there a long time. In that case, he saith unto him. So, so because he knew how long he had been there, he said to him, in that case, he saith unto him. Now, this is, this is if you just picture the story for a minute, all right, I'm going to have to move, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Listen close for just a moment. But if you picture the story for a minute, here's these five porches, so they're spread out a little bit. Jesus is coming along the path, down the way. He looks across these porches, and here's this man, and there's all, there's one man that he's going to zero in on and he comes to him and he's Jesus. He's the God of the universe. He he not only is the God of the universe, he's the one that's been doing all the miracles and everybody around knows he's been doing all these miracles. He has somewhat of a following. Uh, People have heard of him at least a little bit. Uh, Probably these impotent folk have heard there's somebody who can heal impotent folk And, and, and there's hope out there. And now here comes Jesus, and perhaps they understand who he is, perhaps they don't quite, but they've, they've at least heard of him. And maybe the rumor starts to come through that this is that one who is able to heal him. And he walks up to this man, who he knows has been lying here for a long time, 38 years, 38 chances to try to get in the water. Once a year the water stirred, 38 times He's Jesus I didn't want to be healed. And so I think about this question, and we see here the desire of this man. First of all, we see in this this verse the probing of the heart. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is coming to this man. He says, wilt thou be made whole? How many of you know Jesus as God? He knows the hearts and the thoughts of the man. Amen? We don't have any question about that. We know Jesus knows who he is. We know that Jesus knows he wants to be healed. In fact, if you look at the Bible, Jesus asks a lot of questions. But he never asked one of them for knowledge. He always asked the question for the advantage of the person being asked the question. It's always their heart that he's trying to draw out and help them to understand a situation. Help them to have a greater understanding of how he's working and moving in their heart. And so here he is again. He's probing the heart of this man. And somebody might look at this and even perhaps this man might say this is a senseless question. Why would you ask such a thing? Why else would he be lying by this water? But Jesus understood when he came, this is not a senseless question. This is a vitally important question. Do you really want to be healed? It's kind of like when somebody comes, somebody came in my office the other day, and a young man, he's about to get married, and he said, Pastor, I've got some questions. And so we sat down and we started talking about some things, and they just recently got engaged. And, and he told me one of the plans that they have, and I said, now let me ask you, are you just talking, or do you really want my advice? And he stopped for a second. He said, no, I really want your advice. I said, okay, because you're not going to like what I'm about to tell you. And uh, so I gave him my advice. And sometimes you have to stop and find out, do you really want to know, or are you really just asking a question? And and that's kind of what Jesus is doing with this man. I know you've been here. I know you want to jump in the water. I know you'd like to be healed. But do you really want to be healed? Are you willing to consider that there is a man that by faith you could be healed, that it's not about what you do, it's not about your works, it's not about your labor, it's not about your effort to get into the water, but it's by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that healing is available. Are you willing to change your mind? Are you willing to consider? And so now Jesus is probing the heart of this man Jesus says, do you want to be made whole? It's a wise question. It's like when we go out and knock on a door and somebody answers the door and we talk to them for a few minutes and, and usually say something like, uh, you know, is there a church in the area that you attend? We'd like to invite your church. Do you have a church you already attend? And they'll say, yeah, I go to such and such a church. I'll say, that's wonderful. We're glad. We're not really trying to steal folks away from their church which is mostly true. We're really not trying to, steal, we're trying to steal them away from the false teaching of their church, though. Uh, we're not really trying to feel, steal folks away from their church primarily. But What we're out doing today is just making sure people know they're on their way to heaven. Has anybody at your church ever told you how you could know for sure you're on your way to heaven? You say, well, that seems like kind of a harsh question. I mean, uh, you, you go out and you knock on someone's door, doesn't even know you're coming. It's Saturday morning. They think they're just going to get up and watch football all day, and now you're confronting them with all of eternity. It's not a senseless question. It's a needful question. It's a question that starts to probe the heart and help them to say, wait a minute, maybe I better think about this. And Jesus, the one who created us, he knows how we're made. And so he knows statements are going to bring battles and conflict, but questions bring conviction. So he asks the man a question. He's working in the heart of this man. It's a wise question. Someone might say it's a senseless question. Someone else might say it's an insensitive question question oh we understand the idea of asking it but how insensitive I mean the man's been laying there for 38 years the man's been in this condition and now you're going to walk up and say do you even want to be healed That doesn't seem very sensitive but in reality the most sensitive thing he could do is try to help the man And so uh, it may come across that way just a little bit, but this man who's been in peril for 38 years, he might say, obviously, I want to be healed, but Jesus is bringing him to the place of decision. He's really bringing him to the place of grace, and this is always the plan of what he's doing, but he's bringing him there gently and kindly. He's actually being very sensitive in the moment to ask the questions that are needed. We see the probing of the heart, but not only that, we see the problem at hand. Notice what he says. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. He's probing his heart. Do you really want to be healed? And here's the response. Here's the answer. Here's the problem that is at hand. I don't have anyone to help me. I need somebody that will care enough about me, about my life to help me. And here's a man who perhaps he's thinking, as it likely is the time where it's near the troubling of the water once again for this year, perhaps he's thinking, maybe this man will help me. He, he, he still probably is not quite understanding where Jesus is about to take him. He, he still understands the hope of healing as being getting in the water. So perhaps what he's thinking is, well, sir, if you'll help me, then maybe I can get there. And he's still contemplating in that manner. And the reality is this. The same problem is at hand. Many around us need to be helped into the pool of God's grace. But how does it happen? Notice what he says. There's a little bit more to it. I have no man to help me when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. I see two things about this. Number one, he needed help. To get to the right place. There's no other place that he could go than into that pool. There's no other way of healing. There was no other element that God had yet provided for healing to be able to come. And aren't you glad that we understand that there is a way of healing. We don't have to hope that maybe we're on one of the paths that might get us there if we do good enough. But rather, we know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There is, no way. there is no other hope. There is no other thing that might be able to get us there. Our world looks at it and says that all paths lead to the same place. And they're almost right. They do almost. The reality is any other path that is taken will not lead to heaven. And so there is only one hope. There is only one way. There is only one uh, possibility of a place to go. And that's the place of grace. Understanding, knowing, being able to enter into the very grace of God. You had to get to the right place. That's the water that's represented. But then he said, the problem is, before I get to the right place... Somebody else step it down before me. And, and of course, somewhat the picture here uh, would apply to many, if not all of us in here this morning, uh, that, that this would be the idea or the picture that there was a time where the grace of God was primarily for the nation of Israel. They had stepped down first. And, and those of us that are Gentiles, we would come along, we didn't really have uh, the availability of the grace of God, aren't you? Christ, the Gentiles, and because of that, at least many of us are sitting here today, not uh, Jews by birth, not Israelites by birth, but that we have the grace of God available to all, and God, Jesus, and in the picture here, he's about to open it up beyond just those who step in first, he's opening it up to all men, all of those in the porches are now having the availability of the grace of God. Now praise the Lord for that. But here's the other thought I came out of that with. They do not understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what this book says and how to know the way, the truth, and the light. how to know Jesus as their personal Savior. If they don't get that, that truth, if they don't come to that place, the very place of going to the grace of God personally in their lives, if they don't. in a nation that probably uh, none of us has any difficulty recognizing is moving in a direction that is not exactly more and more biblical. We live in a nation where sin is on the rise. And it's always been there, but it's more and more open. More and more things that we are seeing, more and more of an attack against Christianity and the word of God. You say, what do we do? To help people to know Jesus as their Savior one at a time. I heard about a man. He was walking along the shore of the ocean and there had been a storm and there were uh, litter for miles and miles uh, all down in fairly thick starfish down that shore of that ocean. And the man was walking down that shore and he'd pick one up and he'd throw it out into the water and he'd take a few steps and he'd pick another one up and he'd throw it out into the water. And another man saw him and he began to laugh. He said, sir, don't you realize with the millions of starfish for miles that are laying on the shore that there's no way you can help them all? He said, you're right. He said, you know, he picked up another one he said, I can't make a difference for all of them. But I did make a for you. you know, the reality is the Lord didn't tell us go and make sure that your nation never makes a decision that it shouldn't. In fact, the gospel oftentimes is the most potent when it's the most attacked. The gospel has thrived in places like Rome under the rule of people like Nero. And the reality is we don't want that. But it also is not the primary duty to make sure, and I think we ought to have involvement in our nation and all those things, but the primary duty is not to make sure our nation doesn't make a decision we don't agree with. The primary duty of the church Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, you don't pick up your gates and carry them to battle. The gates are on the front of the wall. That means whoever's behind the gates, they're on defense. And Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That means we're supposed to be out in the highways and byways so compelling people to come in uh, that they begin to say, wow, uh, Satan begins to say, wow, I'm on defense and I can't hold them out from winning these people to Christ. And You realize if the church did that, if churches did that all across this nation, we wouldn't have to worry about the direction of our nation. The goal is to get people to the place of grace. Here we find a man. He needs help. He needs help in a timely fashion. He needs somebody to help him to be healed of that which he cannot heal himself. Somebody to give him the answer. We see the desire of this man was that he might be set free. But then we see not only the desire, but the defeat of this man. The defeat of this man is in verse number 7. He says, and we've already read it, that nobody is helping him. There's no way that he can have this deliverance. He was defeated, first of all, by a lack of ability. (laughs) Do you remember if you're saved the time where you had no ability to have your sins? Defeated by a lack of ability. Oh, I'm doing all the things I can. I'm living all the ways that I know are right. I'm doing all the outward works. I have a life that uh, perhaps even looks Christian. But my heart has never been changed. I've never actually come to the place of grace and been set free from the bondage of sin. Here is a man who has no ability, but he wasn't just that. He was defeated by a lack of availability. Makes you wonder where his friends were, doesn't it? And where's your family members? Perhaps he'd now been outcast because they had come to the conclusion he was worthless. He's not worth the investment. He's not worth the time. They don't know how to help him either. Maybe his family members were also in those porches. They're impotent folk. They can't help him because they can't even help themselves. And somebody must be available to come and help him. And the reality is that the, the gospel seed, if it stays inside of the walls of the church, it never has the impact that it's supposed to. The duty is for us to take it out, to tell others that they might know Christ as their Savior. That's why just a few moments ago uh, that Pastor Joe was talking about these tracks. It's just a way in printed form of being able to plant seeds. We ought to be like a bunny in the snow, leaving tracks everywhere we go. I mean just constantly telling people about Jesus, doing all that we can to try to leave a track or hand a track or invite someone or talk to them. Why? So they can come and they can hear that there's a God in heaven who loves you. And this is the point where grace and hope are available. We see here he was defeated by a lack of ability. He was defeated by a lack of availability. Our world needs us to be available to give them the gospel. And then he was defeated by a lack of assurance. He'd been here for 38 years. Certainly by now he had come to the conclusion that there was no way. Certainly by now he thought, well, I'll try again. I've got nowhere else to go. I've not got no other purpose of life. There's nothing else for me to do but... But really, I mean realistically, the odds of being the first one in now. 38 years ago, I was younger. 38 years ago, I was quicker. 38 years ago, I had more ability. But now, how could I be the first one in the pool? Really, the hope is pretty well gone, and you can hear it in his answer. Now, the idea that there's any assurance of ever being set free has been totally removed. Here's a man, who's in need of help. But in verse number 8, we see the good news, the deliverance of this man. We see here, first of all, he met the person of grace. The Bible tells us that Jesus saith unto him. He had to come to the conclusion that Jesus was the person that could help him. There wasn't any other uh, place to look. There wasn't any other thing to try for. Uh, There wasn't any other work that he could do, but there was a person of grace. That was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and so now he turns his gaze and his attention on the Lord. Jesus, the only one who had the authority and the ability to extend the grace of God to another person. We see that he met the person of grace, that's Jesus, but we see that he met him in the place of grace. The place of grace is the place of weakness. Here he comes, and he is. Certainly, he's come to the place where he's discouraged, he's downcast. There there seems to be no way, no hope. Everything has come to the point where uh, he he really just knows that this can never happen. He is in a weak place emotionally, a weak place mentally, a weak place physically. You know, as a church, when people come in, the reality, as we just heard in Psalms, is that they typically are not going to come in if we're carrying the gospel to the loss of this world. Uh, they don't typically come in strong. They don't come in and wearing a three-piece suit and walk in and say, oh, God bless you. How are you today? You know, I was just reading in my Bible this morning. I got saved yesterday. And I was just reading this morning about like evening, And uh, I really have some questions about that. Um, they're not going to come in with some great Bible uh, spiritual strength. They're going to come to the place of grace often they their leaders. Often they may not look like they have it all figured out, and usually that's because they don't. I go around in Toledo, and people say, well, uh, our church has a little bit of a reputation of not being uh, some of those kind of things from some years ago, and every now and then somebody will say something about that, and they'll say, "Well, uh, now if I were to come to your church, what do I have to wear? Do you have any kind of requirements or or dress standards?" I said, "Oh yes, we do. If you're going to come to our church, we actually have very strict standards. If you're going to be in our church, in fact, we require if you're going to come to a service, you have to wear clothes." <laughs> and they do what you do; they laugh. And uh, I said, "That's where really there requirement. Now, if you're going to be in leadership, we that. But uh, if you're just going to come to church, we're just glad you. But you do have to wear clothes, amen. And uh, so we have a good time with that, and it gives me a way to kind of break the ice and talk to people. Uh, but the reality is this: I don't expect them to come in and tie a tie. Most of them don't know how to tie a tie. That's fine. Sometimes I wish I didn't know how to tie a tie, amen. Uh, Jeremiah said, I have affected my heart. When you go knock on their doors and you hear the sounds and you begin to see and hear the stories. but When you go, I remember when I was working on bus routes and I'd be walking up to the door of a child that was on our bus route and I could hear the sounds of the screaming and the yelling and things banging and breaking and, and my heart would break for those, those children. The reality is that I didn't say, hey, uh, you don't look just of your hair right. but when I saw them, I think, oh, man, I'm so excited they're coming. Because I know what they're coming out of. And I know the hope that they need, and I know what they already don't have. And I, I know they just need somebody. And I, I would think, I hope their Sunday school teacher today will be in a good mood. And, and I hope when they come in, they'll just love on them. Man, sometimes bus kids wipe their nose on your sleepy. I mean, they just, they just don't always think about the same stuff that we do. And, you know, it's easy to look at that and say, well, that kid. But if you hear what happens in that home, you say, oh, I love him so much. And, you know, that's how we're supposed to be. Loving people is not justifying sin. Loving people is saying, let me help you come in your weakest moment to the place of grace. Let me introduce you to the one who can fix everything. Because I don't have the answers. I can point you to some of them in here. But the reality is, I don't have the answers. And there's no person that can fix everything that you've got going on. But there is a God in heaven. And he is powerful and he is in control. And if you'll trust him with your life, he can change everything and fix it. And you know what we're saying to him? Quit trying to jump in the water by your own labor quit trying to get in every time the water stirs a little bit, but instead just come and meet the person of grace at the place of grace. So where's the place of grace? The Bible tells us that the spirit and the bride you know sometimes the place of grace is in this room spirit is drawing their heart and they hear a pastor preach a message and he is saying to them come to know christ as your savior as as we are this morning and they make a decision to trust christ as their savior and praise the lord this is the place of grace but you know sometimes you are walking through walmart and there's somebody that the holy spirit says go hand that person an invitation to church hey go talk to that person for a minute and if you're like me you think they probably don't want to hear by the way, the Holy Spirit never says they probably don't want to hear. You can figure out where it comes from. But I sometimes go, well, they probably don't really want to be interrupted right now. You know I've found? Sometimes you go over and you start talking to them you hand them a track and here's an invitation to our church. And they say, oh, I've been thinking about some of those things. We've been thinking about finding a church lately. I say, oh, that's wonderful. You know, more important than coming to our church is knowing where you'll go for eternity. Do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? And sometimes right in Walmart is the place of grace. Sometimes it's at somebody's door. Sometimes it's just about our daily life because what is required is two things. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, the Bride, the Bride of Christ, the believer, are saying, come. But you know, God, uh, sometimes he does that on his own because he can't. But usually he uses us. He's chosen to use human beings. And I don't understand that. I think if I was the almighty, all-powerful God of the universe, I'd probably say, you know, you human beings are so weak and you're so frail and you're so inconsistent, I'm just going to do it myself. Every few years, I'll have a voice like rolling thunder come out of heaven. I'll tell the gospel to the whole world at once and uh, give people an opportunity to be saved. But God chose to use us. And it's because he loves us so much that he allows us to have the opportunity, the Bible tells us, to be co-laborers together with him. And we do that by carrying the gospel seed. So some plants, some water, we don't know which one we are, the planter or the waterer, and then God gives the increase as we go. So the place of grace becomes the very place where we get to invite somebody to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Maybe here, maybe out there, but wherever it is, we're always just sowing and watering because we're saying, Lord, would you use me as a part of the bride of Christ? Would you allow me to be the one to say, come, and that maybe somebody will, and in that moment i get to be the one that you gave the increase to praise the lord for that and now there's fruit that abounds to the account of the planter and the water and whoever god allowed to be the one to be there when the increase was given and so we see that god is the one who's doing all this uh, it's the place of grace is a place where is the person of grace it's really not about the person who's carrying the seed it's really about the lord jesus christ it's all about him amen And so all of it is, all right, the person of grace is Jesus. Let me introduce you to him. The place of grace is the place of weakness. Hey, you need help in your life. You need to be set free by the power of the gospel. So let me tell you how you can be set free. He met the person of grace, Jesus, in the place of grace, weakness. And then he experienced the power of grace. And that's salvation. Why is it that he experienced the power of grace? Because somebody came and talked to him. Somebody extended the invitation. Here it was Jesus himself. Wouldn't that be something to have Jesus be the one to come and speak to you? But you know what? If a person's going to be saved, they have to repent of their sin. What that means is they have to turn. Repentance is a change of mind. And so here is a man who had to have a change of mind. It's not really about getting in the water it's really about the person Jesus Christ so he said I'm going to quit doing all I can and I'm going to trust what he says maybe you're here this morning and say you know I'd like to go to heaven how do I do that number one you have to decide to stop doing all you can to try to get there and you just have to trust what he says the bible says that whosoever will may come it's available to all but you must choose to receive the gift of eternal life. We see here that this man came and he had the extending of that offer from Jesus. Jesus said to him in verse number eight, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Number one, he had to change his mind. It's not about getting in the water, it's about what he said. But number two, he had to act by faith. Faith, cometh by. by faith going to actually risk embarrassment and stand up? Because for 38 years, he couldn't. For 38 years, he's laid there. For 38 years, he has lived with the knowledge, I can't rise and take my bed. For 38 years, he's had the understanding, there's no way for this to happen. For 38 years, he's desired it. For 38 years, he's wanted it. For Jesus says will you quit living in that reality will you quit trusting what you think you know will you trust instead my word okay I'll do it alright now prove it get up you know that takes some faith because what if I try to get up and all I do is fall back down and everybody in all the porches is going to (laughs) say you thought that guy talking to him was going to heal him what's wrong with him He's been there 38 years. Doesn't he understand? (laughs) He risked everything. He said it's worth a shot. It's worth trusting what he says. It's worth changing my mind. It's worth taking a step of faith. It's worth seeing if Jesus really is who he says he is. It's worth believing his word. So he got up. And immediately, verse 9, the man was made whole. If you notice, he said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. I think, we don't read it, but I think there's a movement on his part. There's an action of faith. And then immediately, it's, it's because he's willing to take that step immediately. The man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day, was the Sabbath, and of course they got mad at Jesus, because here he is hanging around with bad people again, on the Sabbath day, healing people that are broken. (laughs) Isn't that an awful thing, that he's using his Sabbath day to heal broken people? (laughs) And they're all mad at him all the time, because he's always hanging around with people that don't meet up uh, to exactly their standards, and he's always healing them on Saturday, which is their Sabbath day, and and he's always doing it different than how the Pharisees and the religious crowd thought that he should. (laughs) You know what Jesus did? He said, I'm not worried about all the religious rigmarole of what everybody said. What I'm worried about is one thing. I'm worried about getting people to the place of grace, that their lives might be changed and they can walk with me. And Jesus was willing to bring this man to that place. He understood now the healing power. He got to experience the healing power of grace. His body was healed, but not just that, the cleansing power of grace. You know, the reality of it is, lives are, are so filled with sin. And then they get to that place of grace and they get to the Jesus as their savior. And you know what happens? The grace of God starts to clutch. And they get into the Word of God. And John uh, tells us that the Word of God, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, that you're made clean through the washing of the Word. And all of a sudden, I'm uh, uh, all of a sudden we start seeing lives begin to change and people begin to change and those who maybe they have some marks and scars of the sin of their- why? all of a sudden they begin to change why because they came and met the person of grace and they met him in the place of grace at their weakest moment and Jesus didn't look at him and say no you figure out how to get better and then I'll love you and maybe you're here and you say how could God ever want me I'd like to go to heaven I'd like to have that relationship but but I know what I've done and I know how far I've been and I just want to say if that's you this morning and and I don't even know exactly who but I know there's some guests here today and maybe you look at it and say you don't know where I've been and you don't know what I have done and I don't but Jesus does and he says I love you exactly where you are you don't try to change your life and then come come and then I'll change your life maybe you're here this morning as my grandpa for years and years said how could God forgive me how could he save me how could he love me with all the things I've done but he never says you fix it let grace fix it he says come just as you are and if you'll come He promises to accept you this morning the great promise of God one of the great promises of God is that he'll accept you just how you are and then he'll change you into a whole new creature I was five years old and told the story a few minutes ago but I was five years old and my mom handed me a stack of books and I carried those books over I sat them down in front of the bookcase and I started putting them all in their place and as I was putting them in their places where they belonged I As I was sliding to get in, the thought hit me. If I died right now, I'd go to hell for all of eternity. He said, "Pastor, you were five years old. I mean, how bad could you really be?" <laughs> well, I knew I was a sinner. I had stolen cookies out of cookie jars on my mom that my sister had taken. I knew that I was. not saved by a prayer, you're saved by the grace of God. And I don't remember the exact words I said, but I said something to this effect, Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner. And I also believe that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sin. And right now I'm asking to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I'd like to know that for sure. I'd like to have the assurance that you have that heaven would be my eternal home. You know, a five-year-old can make the decision not because uh, of anything special. It's not about any certain prayer, any certain words. It's a decision to say, I'm trusting Jesus alone for my salvation. If you've never made that decision, I want to encourage you to make that decision this morning before you leave. It's the most important decision you'll ever make because it's the only one that will affect you after you're dead. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I know of a similar story in my life. I could tell you the moment of my salvation. I could tell you all about all that. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you helped an impotent person to know the grace of God? When was the last time that you took a flyer like this and just an invitation to church, but it contains the gospel, and invited someone to church and said, and by the way, on the back, there's some good news. Tell you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. When was the last time that you sowed some seed, that you watered some seed? When was the last time that you talked to somebody or went through the gospel with somebody and told them how they can know they're on their way to heaven? Maybe this morning you need to say, I know I'm saved. But the reality this morning is that I need to be more faithful, more available in getting the seed out. Planting and watering so God. Give the increase. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.